Acts 5, verses 11 to 32. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force though because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Hi everyone, my name's Matt and I'm a member here at Christchurch. Um, it's great to be with you as we carry on looking at Acts this morning. 
you might want to grab yourself a Bible, get yourself a pen and paper, um, get apps up on your phone, and, uh, and keep that open for us as we go through it. Um, before we go any further, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll start. Father, please open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Help us to see Jesus clearly, and as we see him, help us to live lives of obedience to him. Amen. Well, he'd never have food like it. Ingredients that he'd never tasted before. Combinations of flavours that he'd never had thought of. And when the waiter came and took his plates away at the end of the meal, he wasn't even lying when he said, I am far too busy to even, far too full to even think of pudding. It was the best meal he'd ever had. And as the night drew to a close, his colleagues who had been eating with went to the pub, but he stayed back. The food was so incredible that it made him slightly emotional and potentially a little bit unstable because he felt deep inside himself that he had to shake the hand of the man who provided him such a taste of heaven. So he stood outside the restaurant and gradually over time, table by table, the restaurant emptied. And then the staff went home to go to their families. And after a while, the man he'd been waiting for left the restaurant. So he stepped in front of him, put out his hand and said, excuse me, I have never had food like that. You've got to shake my hand and you've got to give me those recipes. But the man stood before him, looked bewildered. Because instead of targeting the head chef at the restaurant, he'd gone and asked the waiter for the recipes. The waiter looked confused and said to him, I'm sorry, I, I think you've made a mistake. I, I don't know how to cook. I eat microwave meals at home. I, I think you've mistaken me for the head chef. When reading a story, it matters that we know who the hero of the story is. The hero of that story is not the waiter. It's the head chef who's done all the cooking, and the waiter just brings the plates that the head chef's prepared. And when we read the Bible, it's easy for us to make the mistake of choosing the wrong hero. It's easy when reading Acts to think that the apostles are the hero of the story. After all, they, they feel like the main characters now that Jesus has ascended to heaven. And so it's easy to think that the apostles are the heroes of the story, cooking up miracles, baking homemade boldness pie before heading out and speaking to crowds of thousands and facing opposition. But the apostles aren't the heroes of the story. It's the Lord who's doing absolutely everything. And the apostles are just bringing us the plates that the Lord has prepared. And there is a danger in thinking that the apostles are the heroes of the story. As we read Acts and the gospel spreads and the church grows, if the apostles seem like the heroes of the story, then we end up in awe of their evangelistic efforts. We end up in awe of the way that they speak of Jesus and in awe of their courage. And well, we just don't quite stack up to that. We end up thinking that we could never do what they're doing. We end up thinking that we could never match their boldness and bravery. And the end result is that we just quietly retreat. We just quietly think that we're not gonna speak of Jesus 
quite so much. Evangelising, witnessing to Jesus, it's a job for the brave and bold. It's a job for Peter, not a job for us. But if we understand that the apostles are just ordinary men who've encountered an extraordinary God, if God is the hero of the story and he's happy to use anyone to spread the gospel, then the story completely changes. It's no longer a job for the brave and bold, the super spiritual to spread the gospel. It's something that we can all do. We just have to ask the true hero of the story, God, to help us to witness to Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the passage and see three things that can give us the confidence to share Jesus with those around us. We're going to see that we can be expectant because God saves sinners. We can be confident because God laughs at opposition. And we can be convinced of all this because God raised Jesus from the dead. And before we go into it, it's it's just worth saying that um, if you're a guest here today and you're just looking into Jesus, um, welcome. Um, but it might feel strange for you to hear about Christians sharing Jesus. Um, but don't worry, you've not stumbled in on some secret insiders meeting. Um, there's no secrets here. And hopefully as you hear about Christians sharing Jesus, you might just begin to, to catch a glimpse of what it is that makes Jesus so attractive um, to people who follow him. So firstly, be expectant. God saves sinners. Well, if this is your first week, um, we're, we're coming off the back of quite a heavy passage last week. Last week, we saw how God protected the church from corruption on the inside by judging a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. This couple claimed that they followed Jesus. They, they said all the right things, but deep down, they could never do the right things because they were hypocrites. They hadn't considered the cost of following Jesus before they claimed to follow him. And so when push came to shove, they couldn't actually live as Christians. And so they lied to God and they lied to the church and God judged them for their hypocrisy and they died. And so at this point in Acts, as our passage starts, we'd be forgiven for seeing exactly how this church is going to grow. In verse 12, it feels like business as usual, as Peter and the apostles are performing many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers are continuing to meet in the temple courts. But in verse 13, no one else dares to join them. And it's not hard to understand why. Back in chapter 3, Peter and John had healed a lame beggar outside the temple. And instead of being praised, well, they landed themselves in trouble with the powerful religious leaders. And they were put in jail before being hauled in front of the Sanhedrin. And they were threatened and they were told not to speak about Jesus. And then they were released. So everyone around Jerusalem can see that following Jesus, well, it could cost you your freedom. And then to top that all off, you've got Ananias and Sapphira dying under God's judgment and great fear seizes the whole church and everyone who hears about these things. Now, 
I don't know how easy you find it to invite someone to come to church with you. But I, I guess that our invite is a lot easier than it would have been for the early church at this point. Can you imagine trying to invite someone to this? Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm just wondering if you want to come and try church with me. Um, you might have heard of us. Our leaders got thrown in jail a couple of weeks ago and two of our members just died um, as well. But we have a great band and great coffee after the service. You, you'd love it. Look, if the church's growth was purely down to the power and initiative of humans, there's no way that this church would grow. It's facing pressure from the outside, corruption from the inside, and it's hard to see how it will grow. But the wonderful thing is, the growth of the church is not purely down to humans. And in verse 14, despite all the pressure, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Despite everything, the Spirit is at work in people's lives, convicting them that their sin deserves death, just like Ananias and Sapphira. And the Spirit is at work, helping them to repent of their sin, turn to Jesus and experience the power of his resurrection in their lives. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? When the church looks weak, God is at work saving sinners. And Luke makes it clear to us that these early converts are nothing to do with the skills and talents of Peter and the apostles. They're not the heroes of the story. Notice that in verse 13, despite all the miracles, no one else dared join them. The miracles alone aren't enough to save a person. And the apostles, for all their signs and wonders, they can do nothing to change a person's heart. The apostles could keep performing signs and wonders all day every day and no one would dare join them unless God's at work. But God is at work and the church grows. And so in light of this, I, I wonder if what we need to pray for today is not for an exciting display of the miraculous, as good a thing as that would be, but for God's spirit to be at work in people's lives convicting them of their sin and bringing them to trust in the risen Jesus. And it's just worth saying as well, as a, as a side note, this, this passage, these verses are a real encouragement to us if there's any parts of the gospel that we find it hard to talk about. I know that I love to talk about God's love, but I find it really hard to talk about his judgment. I love talking about how God lifts up the lowly but I find it hard to talk about how he is opposed to the proud and arrogant. There are things that I find it hard to talk about Jesus. Well, because I want people to find Jesus attractive. And, and I wrongly assume that if they have the full story, they might not find him attractive. But here in Acts, God's judgment is on display for all to see. And instead of being the thing that stops the gospel from spreading... It's actually the very thing that causes people to stop and to consider whether they really do want to follow Jesus. And they do it anyway. They know full well that being a Christian means being all in and they choose to follow Jesus anyway. And so let's not be ashamed of the gospel, of the full gospel, 
because it's the power of God that brings salvation to anyone and everyone who believes. And so back to the story in verses 15 and 16, as the church grows, people bring anyone who's ill to the apostles, just hoping that Peter's shadow might pass them as he walks by. Now, Josh helped us to navigate our thoughts on miracles a couple of weeks ago, but it does seem that whenever a miracle is needed for the gospel to spread, it can happen. It happened here in Acts and it happens today too. This week I read about a Muslim lady called Dee and Dee said this. Dee said, I never ever thought that I'd be following Jesus. If someone had told me that even three years ago, I'd have laughed and thought that they were crazy. Dee was facing a crisis in her marriage and her dad had died and she messaged a Christian friend for support. And that Christian friend told Dee about Jesus. But as a Muslim, Dee thought that becoming a Christian would be blasphemous, and so she refused. But then the article carried on. Dee said, As time went on, I began to have supernatural dreams. In one dream, a piece of scripture followed me around. Later, Jesus appeared to me twice. His presence was overwhelming. And I felt light, comforted and peaceful. I think God encounters people from the Arab world and especially Muslims in their dreams because I'm not sure that they believe any other way. That's amazing, isn't it? Where the gospel goes out, miracles can happen. And I remember just last year, the the Christian unions, groups of students in the universities in Liverpool, they decided to run an event that was too good for their friends to turn down. So we decided we wanted to book the biggest room on the university campus and we were going to put on a a slap up £10 a head delicious roast dinner. And we were amazed as all our friends said, yes, we were, were going to come. It took us by surprise. But as we tried to organise the event, we ran into problems. Um, We didn't actually raise enough money to pay for, for as many people as wanted to come. And more than that, the room that we wanted to book, the only room that would be big enough, um, was, was booked on the day that we wanted it. And so it looked like we'd have to cancel. And so all the students across the city prayed. And then the miraculous happened. We were all stressed and worried that it was going to be cancelled. But two weeks before the event, a lady got in contact with us to say that she felt that she needed to give us some money. And that money paid for everyone that we needed. It was more than enough. And more than that, in that same week, um, the university contacted us to say that the room had become available again. And so the event went ahead. Hundreds of people came and heard about Jesus. And several people responded wanting to find out more about Jesus. Miracles can happen as the gospel goes out. And I think that Luke records this here for us to say, if you want to see a miracle, get out there and spread the gospel. If you need a miracle, you'll get one. Be expectant. God saves sinners. But also be confident. God laughs at opposition. Judge Whitfield once said, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to be opposed. In our days, to be a Christian really is to become a scandal. 
and walking with Jesus, it leads to opposition for the apostles here in Acts. The church, it's growing and growing, just like Jesus predicted it would in Acts chapter 1. But in verse 17, it seems as though the wheels are beginning to fall off. As the high priest and all his associates, who are members of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And the reason that they're filled with jealousy is precisely because the apostles are nobody special. The high priest and the Sadducees, they're they're guardians of the holiest spot on earth, the temple. The temple had been at the very centre of God's plans. It was a place that you went to meet with God, the place where heaven and earth met. And at this point in Acts, right outside the building where heaven and earth meet, these ordinary men are bringing heaven to the people and it fills the apostles with jealousy. Sorry, it fills the Sadducees with jealousy because God is happy to use anyone to advance his kingdom. There's no special requirements. There's no special gifts or talents needed, just obedience. It's exciting, isn't it? But there is a rub. When you talk about a God who raises up the ordinary and the lowly and opposes the proud and arrogant, you will feel stupid because you're going to be directly challenging the authority of people in power. But that's the nature of God's kingdom. It's scary, but expect opposition. And opposition can be scary, can't it? For, for us, we've probably felt that opposition in different ways. We might feel that standing for Jesus could cost us our jobs. The rejection of being ignored or rejected um, when our friends get invited to Life Explored or church. Or maybe just the ongoing feeling that following Jesus has cost us in our friendships in some way. Following Jesus always has a cost and Christians have always been outsiders challenging the establishment. It's scary, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. So what is it that can give the apostles and us the confidence to speak up knowing that there'll be opposition? Well, you remember back in chapter four, Peter and John have healed the beggar outside the temple They've been hauled in front of the Sanhedrin. They've been threatened and ordered not to speak about Jesus. And after being threatened and then sent home, they called together a prayer meeting of all the believers. And in that prayer meeting, they read Psalm 2 together. In Psalm 2, the nations are conspiring against God. There's unimaginable opposition as all the kings of the earth band together against God and against his king. But in Psalm 2, heaven's response to earthly opposition is not fear. It's not timidity. Heaven doesn't shrink back when earthly opposition rises up. Here's what Psalm 2 says. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And in verses 17 to 25, we can see the one enthroned in heaven laughing at the opposition he faces in the Sanhedrin. The high priest and the Sadducees have arrested the apostles. It seems like they've won. But again, the 
the miraculous happens as an angel of the Lord opens the doors to the jail and brings the apostles out. And he tells them to go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Now, I'm not really up with current trends, but um, I do work with students and a lot of them are partial to the odd meme. Um, so here's the story of verses 12 to 26 told in two memes. First, we've got the distracted boyfriend meme. You might, you might have seen it before. Um, it's been used like this before, and um, I'm sure lots of dog lovers might relate to this. And in Acts chapter 5, this is happening. The Sadducees and the chief priests, for all their power and authority, they just can't compete with the apostles, can they? The apostles have the one enthroned in heaven on their side. They've got the power of the risen Jesus at work in their life. And the people find that undeniably attractive. The Sadducees become jealous as the people flock from around Jerusalem to hear about Jesus and to experience what God's coming kingdom is going to be like. So the Sadducees are jealous and they put the apostles in jail. But then when the apostles are in jail, that's when meme two happens. I wonder if you've seen this meme recently. Um, the footballer on the left is Gerard Piquet. Um, he's a defender. And in this meme, he just can't cope with the pace of Kylian Mbappe on the right. And he's kind of scrambling to keep up with him. And in verses 19 to 25, you've got this happening. As the Sanhedrin gathers and the high priest sends for um, the officers to bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin, and they find the guards of the jail stood outside, just like normal. And they find the door locked, just like normal. But inside, the apostles are gone. And the captain of the temple guards scrambles. He's got no idea what's happening. But we know what's happened. We're left in no doubt this is God's doing. An angel of the Lord um, breaks the apostles out. You can imagine the confusion and the embarrassment um, of the captain of the temple guard, can't you? The apostles are making a fool out of him. And the one enthroned in heaven is laughing. The apostles are already out preaching about Jesus right under their noses. And you can imagine the Sanhedrin gathering, all these big wigs flattering each other, all these important people. They've gathered, they've agreed on an agenda. And as they waste time getting the meeting started, the apostles are out there right under their noses doing the very thing that they're meant to be in jail for. And by the way, isn't it beautiful to see the contrast between the two situations? The chief priests and the Sadducees in their jealous inward looking club and the apostles outreaching the people to tell them all about this new life found in Jesus. The contrast, the bitter, jealous sin and the beautiful preaching and teaching about Jesus. When opposition comes, be confident. The one enthroned in heaven laughs because he's always in the work of saving sinners. But this passage is serious for the exact same reason that it's funny. It's funny because the apostles are doing all this right under the nose of the Sanhedrin. 
And it's serious because the apostles are doing all this right under the nose of the Sanhedrin. When reading Acts, it's clear that being a Christian could mean suffering. God can do the miraculous like he does here, but that doesn't mean that we'll never suffer for being a Christian. Last year, Chinese pastor Wang Yi um, from Chengdu was sentenced to nine years in prison himself um, for giving out books and DVDs about Jesus. When he was sent to prison, his church released this statement on his behalf. Wang Yi said, I hope God uses me through losing my personal freedom to tell those who imprisoned me that there is an authority higher than their authority and there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. I have no idea why God sometimes acts in miraculous ways to spare Christians from prison or suffering, and sometimes he doesn't. But we can be sure that he'll do whatever is necessary for that message of life, the gospel, to spread. And when he does uh, spare Christians from prison or suffering, it's so they can carry on preaching. And when he doesn't, then we pray exactly what Wang Yi prayed, and we rejoice that the word of God is not chained. And either way, whether God acts to spare us from suffering or grants that we suffer on Jesus' behalf, there is one final thing that we see today that can give us the confidence to face anything that comes our way with boldness. And that's our final point. Be convinced God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, the Sanhedrin, in disarray, they call the apostles back for round two, and this time the stakes are higher. Peter and the apostles, they stand before the Sanhedrin knowing that they could be put to death. All the pressure that's been building in the previous verses comes to a head as the high priest says to the apostles, we gave you strict instructions not to teach in this name, yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Here's the crunch moment. The apostles face the Sanhedrin and this time there's no miraculous escape route given by an angel. And yet, even though there's no angel to help them, they still don't face the Sanhedrin alone. There's someone with them, and he has faced the Sanhedrin before too. Because Jesus himself stood before the Sanhedrin before, and when he did, the Sanhedrin, they, they spat on him, and they struck him, and they sent him to death. And that time, while Jesus faced the Sanhedrin, Peter was outside being questioned by a servant girl. And when faced with that mere servant girl, Peter denied Jesus three times. But look at Peter and the apostles now. Look at the change in them. And it's all because of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. God has exalted him to his right hand as prince and saviour. Psalm 2 has happened. God has installed his king on Zion, Jesus. And Jesus lives by his spirit in the apostles. And Jesus' followers can have the confidence to speak about him. Even if that means opposition, 
because Jesus has been given nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth as his possession. Jesus has more power and authority than the Sanhedrin could dream of. And so when questioned this time, even in front of the Sanhedrin, the knowledge of Jesus' resurrection gives Peter the ability to stand up with the apostles and stand up to the Sanhedrin saying, we must obey God rather than human beings. Jesus has more authority than the Sanhedrin could ever dream of. But look what he uses his authority for in verse 31. He's been exalted to bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. The one enthroned in heaven, who's been given all authority, is jealous. But he's not jealous in the sinful, twisted way that the Sadducees are. He's jealous to be with his people. He's jealous for his people to, to be forgiven, to be given new life. And he is jealous for his people to tell everyone all about this new life. Is there anyone as powerful and mighty as Jesus is? Is there anyone as merciful and kind as Jesus is? And doesn't that just make us want to tell people about him? And to everyone who does obey him, he gives the Holy Spirit, helping them to speak with boldness and tell people all about this new life. Listen, there is an unstoppable force of love that's been let loose on the earth. And that power has been planted in our lives by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's tell people about this new life. Let's go. That might mean having that conversation in work, or it might mean joining a summer team and traveling somewhere to tell people about Jesus. No matter what it means, let's go. And let's be expectant that God will save sinners, confident that God laughs at opposition. And let's be convinced of all this because God raised Jesus from the dead. I'm going to give us all a moment just to think about what this might mean for us. And then I'll pray. Father, we praise you that you have installed your king. We praise you for Jesus. You've exalted to your right hand so that he might bring his people to repentance and forgive their sins. Father, help us to be his witnesses and to tell people all about this new life for his glory and for our good. Amen.